quite the question that came up in regards to, you know, if God is all loving, how could he allow the evils that exist today in the world happen, particularly like young babies who were just born or, you know, little kids who were three or four years old. They didn't do anything to anybody. So why are they going through suffering? Why are they being killed? Why are they being tortured? And it was always a difficult question uh, for me to answer. Not that I have all the answers. So this book that I found called Why Does God Allow Suffering? Uh, and it's from the book Collections of Examine the Evidence by Ralph O'Muncaster um, was very interesting to me. And part of it on chapter 4 he reads, and I'll read it. It says, he is unable... The question comes up, you know, why does God allow... Uh, suffering is, is he unable to do anything about it or does he not exist? Because that's a big thing going on now today too. There's no God that exists. If there was a God, he wouldn't allow this stuff to be happening. How can you allow, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but you know, all this other mess to go on. So some of the things I've outlined is what I wanted to just bring up and get your feedback on. So let me read the this you know, short paragraphs and then you give me your feedback on it if you want, you want to stop me after the paragraph. That's good. Cool. Well, what did you want to say to that? Go ahead. Um, no, I'll let you go on and read. And then I'll answer. Okay. Well, just interject. It's not a question necessarily, but you know, whether you agree or disagree. All right, so it says, as humans, we reason this way. Why would a God who is caring and loving allow suffering to exist on the earth? But in order to look carefully at all the evidence, we need to admit that our viewpoint is a human one and is very limited. Many people refuse to believe that a God exists at all, let alone a God who really cares about human beings. Other people believe in a God, but their God stands above and apart from his creation and is indifferent toward individuals, or they believe in a God is part of everything in the universe, who is more a force than a person. Both of these kinds of gods are impersonal, uncaring, and unloving, and at first glance, the existence of one of these types of gods seems to fit with the chaos and suffering we see in our world. But the question then becomes, why should an uncaring God create the universe, the earth, and mankind, if there is no caring or purpose behind his creation? Or where do we find any purpose at all in the universe where God is just an impersonal force contained in everything? Their questions can be more difficult to face and understand than the problem of why a loving God allows suffering. Then some people believe in the God of the Bible. This God is all-powerful, is all-powerful. Even though he allows suffering, which actually serves a purpose that not a lot of people believe or can understand, nonetheless, he is holy, just, loving, and forgiving. If there is no God at all, we have no eternal hope, and we are entirely at the mercy of the world today with all its evil. 
Wow, yeah, this is a very, very hot button topic for people. It's a very intensely emotional topic for people. It's often why people that who choose not to believe in God cite as the reason for not believing in God because he does a lot of suffering. So the atheist would say, you know, there can't be a God or, you know, um, because there's so much pain in the world. And so, and a lot of, it's interesting because a lot of pastors and theologians have addressed this issue over the years. tried to address this as well, and um, they've done a good job on it, um, to the point where, I, I guess from a Christian perspective, we can look at it and, and understand it, um, but also from the skeptics' viewpoint, it can be difficult to understand um, why a child would be born with a type of disorder or, you know, um, something that's going to affect him for the rest of his life. So, for example, there is a famous uh, motivational speaker, well-known motivational speaker, Nick Wojcik, who was born without legs and arms. And his parents um, really didn't know how to respond to his condition at birth. Um, they saw on the fetal monitor, maybe a couple of months, few months, or maybe four months before he was born, that he was going to be deformed. And they actually asked mother and father to, if they wanted to terminate the pregnancy, and they decided not to. Um, they were concerned about his future, and um, which is uh, understandable and all. And but they allowed him to be born full term. And um, they said they were going to let God decide and let him, you know, be in control of the situation. And so. When you look at that, you would think, yeah, you know, the, the father's a pastor, they're living a moral life, they're living a good life, they're serving God, and how could this child um, you know, develop like this? So, and right now, when you look at it, he allowed, uh, why would he have allowed Nick Boyd to be born in a world like this? Well, what he's done so much to impact lives of those who were born that way. He's touched thousands of children who were born without arms, some were born without legs and arms, like someone just born without one or the other, um, those that have other deformities, but he's done a lot to encourage people over the years. He's very inspirational, very motivational. He's traveled the world, and he's been a spokesperson and advocate for people with disabilities, um, and really just an encourager. And he's also, he's a Christian, so he's, whatever he teaches and, and preaches, he does it with um, biblical framework. And, um, you know, it, so it's just, um, you know, we, we look at a lot of different things that happen to people in the world and to us in our own lives. We allow, we ask ourselves, how could God allow this to happen? How could God allow my marriage to dissolve? You know, how could God allow me to, um, you know, um, have a child that, that died? You know, so there are just different levels of hurt, uh, different scenarios, but hurt is hurt, pain is pain. And um, as humans, it's one condition that we can all relate to. And, um, you know, we live in a fallen world, which is, I, I guess, the, the, the bottom of this and underneath of, the, of this all and at its core is that 
once we um, once the fall occurred, once Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we were exposed to pain. Pain and suffering, death, none of that was supposed to be a part of our lives. But once Adam and Eve sinned, that introduced pain and suffering into our lives. Um, it introduced pain in childbirth. God said, you know, as a result of what happened, I'm going to, you know, magnify and multiply the amount of pain that he will experience, that women will experience in childbirth. You know, in, in pain, you shall give birth to this child um, that it comes into the world. And it will be trouble for man from, you know, that point until he dies. You know, he's going to eat the pain and child sorrows, right? Something like that. So, and man's going to have to work by the, you know, sweat of the brow. So Adam's going to have to till the land. And, you know, it's going to be intense work for him. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be joyful. It's not going to be, like, worshiping and praising God all day. It's going to be burdensome. And so that is a result of their disobedience, their direct disobedience, when God said, Do not eat, you can eat of any, from any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to um, not obey him. And so that introduced what you know, we call the, down, the man's downfall and sin. And that was original sin. And that um, occurred. And it caused us to then travail. Uh, women to travail in childbirth. And people to travail in life. So, yeah, it's definitely a part of the fall. The reason why the reason why God allows pain and suffering is because of that. And, um, of course, he comes to, he's there as our helper. He's there to help us through the pain and suffering. Um, but yet he doesn't always remove it. So, uh, you know, it's something that everyone who walks the face of this earth, even if they're not a Christian, can identify with and has experienced at one time or another. Thank you, Susan. All right, I, uh, that's a that was very good. Um, one more question. I'm. It seems well. I'm pretty much always perplexed when I'm asked. So let me understand this. Um, when the, the re reiterate this in case I probably missed it. If, if depending on the question. When the people when people ask me the question, you know, I'm a believer and all this other stuff. Relationship with God and they seek to glow and all this. And you know, I start talking about how I praise the Lord and you know comes out. And the question is posed to me, well how well why well what did a baby do? Alright, is this child was just born into the world, wasn't here not even 24 months or a year, what have you, and is all of a sudden abducted or kidnapped or uh, abused in some way. Else. What, did that, what did that child and do? The answer is nothing. And, and that's one of the same, um, and I should, should have a Bible open when we talk about this because it's important to um, reference scripture, but there is a scripture in the New Testament that talks about... Um, this boy being born blind and they said well what did his parents do to make this child be born blind did they sin and Jesus said to them no they didn't sin it's so that the father will be glorified and so God often allows trials so that he can be glorified um, he can show himself to be um, to have all power 
to be almighty. Um, he can show us, he can prove that there is nothing impossible for him. Any circumstance that we face, he is with us in it. He is walking through the fire. He said, when, I, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. When you go through the waters, you will not drown. The waters will not overtake you. Um, you know, he's there with us. He's our constant friend, our constant companion. Um, he's with us in any difficulty that we face. And if we allow him to, no matter what the and how difficult the situation is, no matter what the situation, the crisis, the trial, no matter how intense it is for us at the moment, um, we will, we can come through it victoriously. We can overcome it. And we can uh, prove that he's, that God reigns, and that Satan does not have the last say, that it is not the end. And we can, if we allow him to be glorified in it by our actions, and we have to take the appropriate actions and steps so that he can be glorified in it. Now, this final thing, because this is great. Um, I know, I know. Uh, oh, so I need, this is going to be a, uh, probably a challenge. It's a challenge for anybody. Uh, when you have to look at things from a different perspective. So what would you say to somebody who never knew the Lord, who was never introduced I mean, you know, you hear about religion and Roman Catholic and Baptist and Protestant and stuff. I mean, you grow up, you're going to run into people who, you know, follow certain faiths or various faiths and stuff like that, right? But you never had a personal encounter yourself. You know what I'm saying? Um, what would you say to someone like that? You know, I, I mean... Well, well, first of all, to someone who does not know Christ as their Savior... And I would, I would first tell, let them know that it's not about religion, it's a relationship with Christ. Um, it's a personal relationship that you have with the Lord as a born-again believer. Um, and, you know, I, if they, depending upon, you know, what they said to me or, or didn't say, it's an opportunity for whoever you meet that doesn't know God, doesn't know Christ, to lead them to Christ. You can... Walk them through the sinner's prayer. You can ask them to invite the Lord into their heart, um, to receive Him as their personal Savior, and you take the next steps in terms of discipleship. So, a lot of what, um, so I, I guess your your question to me is, how would I explain suffering to a person who doesn't know the Lord? Not necessarily suffering. Just like why should I, why should I believe in something I can't see, feel, or touch? In addition to that, I don't even have to write put this note down um, but with all the stuff that's mm -hmm. happening in the news over the past few years with these Roman priests abusing right. you know these kids and stuff like that this is a God that they serve this is so called God why should I even want to you know be a part of something like that if this these atrocities are happening you have another pastor of a Baptist church who so happens to be you know you know gay, I guess, alphabet community, whatever the case may be, yet this is, a, you know, that, you know, we hear the program. Those kind of questions that come up to somebody who's like, you know what I mean? Why should I even entertain? Well, we can talk about that we serve a God who, and I, and I will let them know, the type of God that I serve, the type of God, you know, 
that exists as the one and only true God, you can also, um, you can, if you want, if you're good at this, and this happens to be, if you're a historical person, you can actually um, debate, and not to say debate, but you can explain the existence of God through scientific evidence. If you are able to do that, if you're a person who studies history, study the Dead Sea Scrolls, study the history of the Sea of Galilee, there is tangible evidence of the existence of Christ walking on this earth. Um, and so you can take that approach to an atheist. Atheists are generally very logical people. They're skeptical. They are scientific people. And they need proof. And so um, you can either explain that to them if you know yourself, or you can point them to some resources that help. There is a resource that used to come on one of the popular Christian radio shows in the New York City area many years ago, um, Hank Hanegraaff. And he wrote um, several books and articles on the evidence of Christ. There's Lee Strobel, who's an author of The Keys for the Creator. Um, Equip.org was the website that Hank Hanegraaff used to um, oversee. I'm not sure if it's still there, but you can definitely search for his books and his recordings and things like that and really look at the keys for the Creator and the evidence of Christ if you need some tangible proof. Um, you can look and search for apologetics or just different um, topics that you can go on. As far as a relationship with Christ, once you come into a relationship with Him by faith, because you're doing it by faith, number one, in terms of someone you cannot see, while you can um, assess the records and the Dead Sea Scrolls physically, the acknowledging that God, who is spirit, um, exists, it has to be done by faith, because you can't see, touch, or feel him, like you mentioned. Okay? God the Father. We're not talking about God the Son, who was actually man and God, who walked this earth and with physical evidence that was left behind, was even engraved on the stone um, that exists um, from his burial. Um, and so, yeah, so there, um, once you enter a relationship with him, it is the Holy Spirit then that resides within you that leads you into all truth and that's able to um, help you discern truth knowledge and open up your heart to your wisdom, open up your heart to understanding in terms of the Bible. Um, once you start reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit acts as that person, the third person of the Trinity, who also brings us into remembrance about things and reminds us of truth and gives us understanding and enlightens us. I don't have as thorough a response as you do, Susie, which was outstanding. Um, you can have a response which I'm sure will be understood by many amen my approach is more uh, I don't know how to explain but for me as a young person I was blessed you know to have a mother who introduced me to you know God going to church and stuff like that so it was just part of my, my you know growing up um, but there did come a point in life where I you know, I got to know him personally. It wasn't, uh, you know, simply just going to church and listening to some man speak behind a podium and, you know, just leaving, you know, when church is over. What happened was when I was young, I became grieved overwhelmingly, didn't know what it was, just grieved spiritually. And 
I was just crying and I asked mom, you know, help me, mom, help me. And she was like, well, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know, just help me, help me. I just was grabbing So, you know, she patted my head, she rubbed my back, anything, because she thought she didn't know if I was sick, she didn't know if I was ill. And no matter what she did, she could help me. And what was interesting was, you know, I called out to my dad who didn't live with us, separate. But I was like, Dad, help me, help me, help me, help me. Then I didn't have to call out to him when I realized he wasn't here, he couldn't hear me. So it didn't make any sense to me doing that. And then I realized nobody really cared. My mom is here and she can help me. So I just started singing this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. And I just kept singing that, that you know, Bible verse over and over and over again. And within a matter of, I don't know, a few minutes, all of a sudden, a peace came over me, an indescribable peace that whatever thing that I was going through, that grievance that I was going through, just left. How old were you I I don't even know. I was young. I was probably seven, probably. Some years. Yeah, I was yeah, about seven. I probably somewhere six. The developmental primary year, somewhere around there, I think I was. Um, yeah, and that when that happened. That's when God became real to me. When that happened, that's when I knew, you know, it was more than just going to church. It was more than just a pastor speaking word. My mother couldn't even help me if she was there. And something calmed me down in line with when I was singing Jesus of you. This I know. I wasn't singing Jesus of you before then. When I wasn't, I was, I was grieving. But when I started singing that song, it calmed me down. That's when I knew God was real to me. That was when my personal relationship with Jesus Christ took shape. Um, so to this day, I'm older now, of course. I've gone through a lot. God has been there for me. My faith has grown. Uh, but also to this day, whenever I start to let the world try and attack me and overwhelm me, what I do is I, I simply look up in the sky. And I see the, the sun and I see the clouds. Um, imagery, I'm just imagery. Mm -hmm. You're and then, just getting imagery with you saying that. Yes, uh, I also, you know, we have online and you know, growing up, the universe, the things that exist out there, and the stars out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. And what that, what that does to me, first of all, it takes me out of the realm of the natural number one. It lets me know that there's something bigger than me that exists. And it also lets me know, and I hear this all the time, and I say this to myself all the time, as long as I've been on this earth, and from history records, the sun has never failed to rise, or the right. earth never failed to rotate, exactly. we've never had a day where we haven't had oxygen, everything is in order. God, is, God ev put everything into order. Everything in order. And I know for a fact that man had nothing to do. Because he can't. He can't even survive in the universe right. for a long time. So he can't I, even take his next breath without it. Exactly. And that's how I know that, I mean, people term it however they want to term it, define how it is, but I know the God that I serve, and other people may call him some other name. And they call, right, exactly, but we know that we serve God who is part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, which is what makes us different, in a sense. Exactly. Because their God can be, they sun gods. Right. You know, pagan gods. Right. So I just, I know that he exists. And that's what's my confirmation. Whenever you know people talk about all this other stuff, they can't. Yeah, they can't. They can't tell me how the sun was created, how the universe was created, 
They can't tell me how the Earth was created. They say that the Big Bang Theory. They, right? The Big Bang Theory had to start cool. somewhere. And they think, and oh, it just started with a little acorn or that, a little atom and exploded. Not an acorn, but an atom. And all of a sudden it exploded and all these particles and you know came about. And out of chaos. chaos. Out of chaos, right. So how, is, how come there's not chaos now. or hasn't happened over the years that we've been here? So, you know, they can use that theory all they want. I just know every day. I have breath in my lungs. Every day the sun rises, even if it's cloudy. You know, every day I see the universe and the earth rotate, and there's order, and there's a structure, and my spirit confirms that in me, and that's what brings you know the Lord alive to me. And so, it's definitely right. It definitely is alive. You definitely have a personal encounter. Definitely. It shows up in everything, solar system, and also in your everyday life. Your um, experiences that you have, where you don't even there are times that it happens, and I know my life, I shouldn't even be here. I mean, you you know you drive every day, right? And so you can have accident every day and, and be gone. So you know it's a miracle that we survive our roadways. Yes. And you know that there is a God protecting you. That God is watching over you. Yes, absolutely. Um, there was a point that you brought up that I wanted, I just forgot. It was right there and it slipped, but it was, um, oh, I hate when I have. Uh, yeah, every day we Real get moments. to see. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Um, the intuition thing I wanted to bring up in regards to, yes, use example 9 11, right? right? Uh, we talk about the personal relationship with God. Like, people woke up that morning and just felt, they didn't, they just, for some reason, something happened, right? And they didn't go on yeah, that day. Something happened and they were late. And they were late in personal situations where, you know, you're out with, you know. Redirected. Right. Oh, girls, you with your girlfriends. Uh, you know, or your girl was like, let's go out and hang out. And something inside you says, nah, I don't feel right about it. You know, you have your that. Spirit. Your spirit. Your, yeah. The Holy Spirit. Those are all examples of how the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and tries to protect us. So if, even if we don't believe, right, we've all, I believe, if we lived on this earth long enough, which we have, you don't have to live that long, to know that there was something that told you not to do something. When you felt uncomfortable about doing something and in some cases you did and you wish you never had and that was your spirit saying you should or sometimes you would heed you heeded the spirit or you listened to the spirit then go and find out it's good that you didn't go because this is what happens these are moments where God makes himself real I believe to us and let us know you know that he is real he is he's here to protect us and he has a purpose for us that I just wanted to share right uh, that that's not just happenstance it's not coincidence it's not. It's it's life. It's spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, your Creator, wanting to protect you. And I know all of us have experienced that on some level or not. And now you can identify it to some degree and know who it is. Or if you don't believe that's what it is, like Susan said, do some research, you know, and do some historical references. If you really need that, if you need that, if there's something that's in you that needs more proof, some people need proof. Um, there are some people who are, are able and equipped to, to do that, to teach that. Not everyone can. You know? Absolutely. 
lot of people are there to teach. And I think that author, because I looked at his books, I looked at his biography, he is a type that's called to talk to skeptics. It's kind of why he wrote this book about suffering. And what author is that again? Man Custer, what's his name? Um, Ralph. Ralph. Oh, I got Why God Allows Suffering. Yes. He, I read his biography, yes. He okay. directly speaks to skeptics. Amen. Amen. Um, the pastor, um, Tim Keller, I don't know if you know Timothy Keller. He pastors a church in Midtown, Presbyterian Church. And he's another one that talks a lot, that we, when he's reading, speak a lot to people who are skeptics. Okay. And I can't remember the name of his church now. Something Presbyterian. But the, Redeemer, um, I think it's Redeemer. Uh, the book in that Susie was mentioning in regards to Why Does God Allow Suffering? That's the title of the book. It's from the book collections of Examining Evidence. And the author is Ralph O. Muncaster. 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 So he's called to speak to skeptics. So, you know, if that's what you're called to do, or you need, you know, facts and things of that nature, that's a good Thanks. book to... Uh, Exactly. To reference. There, Tim Keller, Timothy J. Keller, he's an American pastor, theologian, and Christian apologist. Um, and it's apologist doesn't mean apologizing, it means defending your faith, really. Mm. He's a founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, New York, and the author of the New Times, uh, New York Times bestselling books, The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, and The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. The prequel for the latter is making sense of God. So yes, he definitely uh, has written books on um, for the skeptics, and I think that you know we we need that. We need pastors who not only speak to um, Christians and people who really don't need a lot of nudging in terms of their faith, who can take something on faith and accept it. But then there are people who can't accept anything but pure and whatever. So. Susie. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Heidi, for yeah. having me.